0: It's hard to even bring up the topic of infectious disease without instantly thinking of antibiotics. When patients roll in with a fever, they more often than not roll out with something that ends in cillin, mycin, or floxacin, whether the culprit is bacterial or not. And that's paved the way for superbugs, such as MRSA and VRE to enter the scene, meaning the golden age of antibiotics has passed us by. But what if we could turn one of the most abundant elements on Earth, moreover, part of the very air we breathe, into a weapon against infectious disease. This is Reach MD, and I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Joining me is Dr. Peng Zhang, Associate Professor of Chemistry at the University of Cincinnati, and the principal investigator of a study looking at weaponized oxygen as a new therapy for superbugs. Dr. Zhang, welcome to the program. My
1: pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Bernholtz.
0: So Dr. Zhang, let me put the first question out there that I'm sure is on all of our minds which is how and why oxygen, of all things?
1: Well, first of all, oxygen is a very common molecule, as you indicated. It's abundant and it's something that almost everyone knows about it. Now, what is not very obvious to a lot of people is that oxygen has different forms. The one that we are all aware of and that we breathe on a daily basis, anytime, every time, is the stable form. There are other forms that are more reactive, and these forms of oxygen are something we call reactive oxygen species. Now, these forms of oxygen usually are very reactive and they have a relatively short lifetime. Now, if we can generate these so called reactive oxygen species and take advantage of the fact that they are reactive to other species in their neighborhood, in the surrounding, then we can try to make them into a weapon against something that we don't want. So in this case, if we try to get rid of bacteria or to kill bacteria, we can try to create these uh, reactive oxygen species in the surrounding of the bacteria and then let the reactive oxygen species attack the bacteria.
0: Interesting. And how does one go about creating reactive oxygen species?
1: So, there are more than one ways of creating oxygen species uh, The one of the common ones that people are probably using it already is you can use peroxide, you know, that's something that we can use in you no know, grocery store. Uh, those are able to chemically generate uh, reactive oxygen species and they can have these anti-infection effect. they can kill bacteria. In our study, we use a slightly different way of creating oxygen species, we use the light and combined with some chemicals, uh, so-called photodrugs or photosensitizers to be more precise, the combination of these chemicals and the light would allow the oxygen, the regular oxygen species in the surrounding of these uh, molecules to be converted into reactive oxygen species. And then, while the oxygen species is still reactive, we try to bring them close to the bacteria, and then they will attack the bacteria and successfully kill them.
0: I see. And I'm going to want to ask you a little bit more or dive more into detail about that interaction between light and the photosensitizers. But first, if we talk about that conversion from oxygen as a stable form into a reactive oxygen species, How then does it attack bacteria specifically?
1: Now, this kind of study has been going on for quite some time now, for decades now, and it has been widely accepted that these mechanisms are multifold. So the reactive oxygen species would attack the bacterial membrane, lipids, proteins, and DNAs, etc. It's not just one target. So for this reason it is very difficult to bacteria to develop resistance towards reactive oxygen species because it is multi-point attack. It's too too much for bacteria to defend against.
0: Right. And I imagine what comes to mind for some of us in the clinical realm is if something is too much for a bacterial cell to handle, perhaps it might be too much for adjacent human cells to handle as well. Is there a danger in releasing reactive oxygen species to nearby tissues, not to mention. Other bacteria such as the flora in our GI tracts that we might want to maintain?
1: Yes or no. In one sense, yes, these killing, these reactive oxygen
0: species would have broad
1: spectrum killing, so they would attack any bacteria in the surrounding. In that sense, it may potentially cause the side effect to the normal bacteria. However, keep in mind that this mode of action requires light. So it will be a combination of light and the photosensitizer. If we can control where the light reach, then you can control where the photo-inactivation would occur. So in your case, as you mentioned, the GI tract, if we do not bring the light in the GI tract, then nothing would happen to those bacteria. This is a quite different mode of action compared to antibiotics. For antibiotics, it is a systemic killing so you bring into the body either the broad or through the GI tract and anywhere these antibiotics would go to, they would kill. But in our case, in the photodynamic treatment, you only rely on reactive oxygen species and that would allow you to have more control to where you want to kill.
0: And I imagine then that there must be a, another obstacle to work through, which is that challenge of penetrating aquatic environments where lots of microorganisms might live in vivo, but photosensitizers might not easily be able to penetrate. Is that a current obstacle in trying to think ahead in the clinical realm?
1: Certainly, that is one that we need to overcome as we move towards the clinical application of these kinds of treatment. There are different ways people are trying to address this. In our most recent work, what we are trying to improve is we combine these photoactive molecules into a nanoparticle form and so the nanoparticle would concentrate these and then you bring all these photoactive molecules into where you want to reach and then on the nanoparticle surface you can try to functionalize or modify appropriately so that it can it can have better penetration through the aquatic environment and it would also maintain its stability in this environment So this is one approach that we are following to try to address these barriers and challenge. And there might be other approach. And this is an actively being studied field that we are expecting to see progress being made over time.
0: Well, for those just tuning in, this is ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. I'm speaking with Dr. Peng Zhang on his research team's development of a new approach to combat antibiotic-resistant bacteria. So, Dr. Zhang... Let's talk a little bit more about the implications of your findings. And first, I want to consider other potential clinical uses for reactive oxygen species. What comes to mind first is perhaps targeting cancers. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Now, this kind of treatment method has been applied to target cancer uh, for many years, too. And there have been some success. At this point, to my understanding, there has at least one FDA approval for skin cancer treatment using similar type of method which is we call photodynamic therapy. Now as you recall that I mentioned these kind of treatment require two things, the photosensitizers and the light. For the surface cancer, skin cancer, light can be easily reached, so that is not an issue. However, for many of the cancers that are deep seated inside tissues, there will be a challenge to bring light, to reach those tumors. And that is the major barrier for these type of treatment to be widely applied in the cancer treatment. And it is something that a lot of researchers are trying to find new ways to make progress, but it is an ongoing field, and we expect that there will be more progress being made in in the coming years.
0: Do you think a technology to implant, some sort of light beacon would be needed, perhaps seeded into localized areas? Or is this something that would be delivered by another mechanism to be able to generate light internally?
1: Well, both has been reported, and although at the research level, not at the clinical level. And so the challenge, in my opinion, involves you will have to deliver those photosensitizers to the tumor site, and then you have to Bring the light to the tumor site. So you basically have to deliver two things to reach the target region. This is probably not as trivial as one would like so there are different ways people trying to solve this maybe you can use some fiber optics to bring the light to the site that is one way to do it you may also think about trying to generating light inside locally but that would involve introducing a source that would allow you to generate the light And so, again, that will make things even more complicated. So there are different approaches, but none of them have been well-established yet. And so this is an ongoing field of
0: research. Right. And I imagine if we come back to the infectious disease realm, trying to think through the mechanism to generate light for a patient who has a systemic infection, such as someone who's become septic, that must be a particular challenge because you would have to essentially find a a way of lighting up the entire vascular system.
1: That's exactly right. So at this point, for the infections treatment, this mode of treatment is probably more appropriate for topical infection treatments, including the wound treatment. But anything in that involved into the body and inside the tissue a vascular delivery, that will make things complicated. And so far, I haven't seen people successfully you know, carry out that kind of research.
0: Well, then why don't we consider the closest target to application, that being more topical uses for this on the infectious disease side. What do you think will be the next steps for transitioning this therapeutic approach out of the laboratory and into clinical practice down the road?
1: Well, the way I see it, the first thing we need to do is to test our treatment module onto animals. We can start from a small animal and then transition into larger animal closer to human, and then we are going to test that on the human so that we can fulfill the requirement of the FDA you know, requirement. And then if we can successfully meet the requirement imposed by FDA, then you know, we can move forward to the marketplace.
0: And as far as the marketplace goes, do you think just speculatively in where you are now and where you envision this research going, do you think this is going to be a pretty high cost of entry or are there any other obstacles that will need to be tackled before this type of treatment approach could ever be ready for prime time?
1: Well, that has been something we have bear in mind when we first started. So we try to improve the efficiency of our materials so that they do not incur a very high cost. Especially if we get to the mass scale where we can produce a large amount, the cost would not be significant. And the other component of this treatment is the light source. We first started with a pretty bulky and relatively expensive light source. We have improved in that regard, and now we are able to use a palm size LED that can be used as a light source. It is very inexpensive, and you can have a light source. You can use it, reuse it for a long period of time. All you need is to have the material, and that can be used as disposable. And then every time you want to use it, you just replace the material. You can reuse the light source. So in that sense, the overall cost is not going to be a big factor.
0: Well, Dr. saying, it's exciting stuff, to put it mildly. Uh, but any other takeaway thoughts or plans looking ahead over the next few years on your behalf for introducing this treatment down the road?
1: Well, as I said, we're just uh, moving forward step by step. So we have these techniques developed. We have a patent approved this past summer. Now we are moving forward to go with the animal testing and then again go through all these uh, regulatory uh, compliance. So that is what I expect in the next three, four years that we are going to move towards so that we can really translate this technology out of the lab and into the marketplace uh, clinical practice.
0: Well, we definitely hope to have you back on again to monitor each step of this process because clearly with the rise of antibiotic resistance across the entire world, investigations like yours are absolutely crucial. So Dr. Zhang, I very much want to thank you for sharing these updates on this new potential player in the treatment space against superbugs. It was fantastic having you on the program.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you some of our progress of our research, and I appreciate you.
0: I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. To access this and other episodes, visit reachmd.com, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.